0: Hey everyone and welcome to my A to Z of musicals and today I'm going to be talking about all things beginning with the letter W and there are so many that actually I find myself talking very quickly and running out of breath so here we go, letter W. I'm going to start today's letter W with a musical that actually I have never seen but would love to, and that's the 1948 Broadway hit show. Where's Charlie? Now, if you don't know this show, it's based on a very, very funny play, Charlie's Aunt, by Brandon Thomas, written way back in 1892. I've seen Charlie's Aunt performed. I think I've seen three different productions over the years. I love this show. It's very funny. There is a film adaptation of it as well. And then the musical came along in 1948, and it was George Abbott who wrote the book with the first time that Frank Lesser had done a book musical. And of course, we know Frank Lesser as the composer and lyricist for Guys and Dolls and How to Succeed in Business, Uh, Where's Charlie also had George Balanchine as the choreographer. Well, he's known as one of the most influential of the 21st century choreographers. So this was an amazing team. The show was a big success. It was lots of fun. It was silly, just like the comedy play itself. It ran on Broadway for 792 shows and then went on a tour of the US, then had six more weeks on Broadway. And in 1951, it had another stint on Broadway. The show was so well received with Ray Bolger as the lead role of Charlie. Well, of course, we know Ray Bolger as the Scarecrow from the 1939 MGM classic movie musical The Wizard of Oz. And uh, he was described in Where's Charlie by a critic as a dancing comic delight. Uh, The show has great songs, including the show-stopping Once in Love with Amy. Now, for some reason, I really know this song and I'm thinking maybe I have seen the film version of Where's Charlie somewhere in the past because this song is in my head. And uh, it was a runaway hit song, actually. So Ray Bolger was a delight singing this. And he was joined in the original Broadway cast by Doretta Morrow, who went on to be him in the original Broadway cast of The King and I. The show was so successful that actually there was a film version in 1952 uh, produced by Warner Brothers... And Ray Bolger reprised the role as Charlie, along with two others, Horace Cooper and Alan Ann McClary. Now, they were both in the original production and in the film. Well, Alan Ann McClary, of course, was the fabulous Katie Brown in the film of Calamity Jane. And uh, she plays Amy, that Ray Bolger is once in love with. The film version had choreography, this time by Michael Kidd, and the film was uh, partly shot on location in Oxford, in England. Then in 1958, the West End version of the stage show opened with Norman Wisdom, the English comedic actor. Uh, And Broadway then did have a number of uh, revivals including 1974 Raul Julia as Charlie and then in 2011 there was a semi staged production at, at the New York City Center's the Encore series with Rob McClure as Charlie and also starring the wonderful Rebecca Luca this is a show that i really want to see and i hope there will be a production sometime soon i was thinking you know that somebody like charlie stamp would be a really good charlie but let's see what happens where's charlie of course we cannot do the letter w without a special nod to the amazing andrew lloyd weber english composer and musical theater impresario what a great word And he's so honoured and uh, acclaimed across the world. He's an EGOT winner already, having won an Emmy, a Grammy, three Grammys, a Grammy Legend Award, an Academy Award Oscar, six Tonys. So he's one of 16 people who are EGOTs. Um, He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's won seven Olivier Awards, 14 Ivan Nivello Awards, a Golden Globe, a Brit. He's had the Kennedy Center Honours. He's written 21 musicals. Oh, so many things. Absolutely incredible. And of course, there are three Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, beginning with the letter W. Can you remember what the three letter W Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals are? Well, the first one is Whistle Down the Wind and of course it was based on that very very famous 1961 film of the same name directed by Brian Forbes and it starred Alan Bates as the man and Hayley Mills as the child swallow and It's the story, really, of how a group of children discover this man in their barn and his first words are Jesus Christ. They think they've found Jesus in their barn. It's an absolutely brilliant story. The film, in black and white, is amazing. It was nominated for lots of BAFTA awards that year. And uh, Brian Forbes, who directed it, of course, went on to direct the Stepford Wives, and also the wonderful movie musical of The Slipper and the Rose, which I talk about in detail in the Letter S podcast. I thought I'd just mention Haley Mills, of course, from the film of Whistle Down the Wind. She starred in the 1961 Disney film The Parent Trap, where she played twins, identical twins, and she sings with herself... Let's get together, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she also went on to star in the Australian production of The King and I. She played the part of Anna Leon Owens and then went on a tour of the United States with it as well. And in 2001, Hayley Mills played the part of Desiree Armfelt in a production of A Little Night Music in Seattle. Um, so Andrew Lloyd Webber paired up in an unusual pairing, really, with Jim Steinman. Of course, Jim Steinman, who famously worked with Meatloaf on the Bat Out of Hell uh, albums. And Whistle Down the Wind premiered in Washington, D.C. in 1996 with Davis Gaines playing the part of The Man. Um, Now, apparently, Andrew Lloyd Webber wasn't very happy with the casting of this production. It was being produced at the time by Harold Prince. And so when the show came to London in 1998, it was completely revised by Gail Edwards. And uh, so it was a pretty much a new show, really. Uh, there was a concept album, because Andrew Lloyd Webber, as we know, likes his concept albums for shows. Uh, released in 1998 and it had a whole bunch of uh, well-known pop singers from the UK but also around the world. Uh, Boyzone sang No Matter What. This is the Irish boy band and this was their biggest selling record the, t- uh, the whole time that the group were together. Uh, we also have Tom Jones singing, Tina Arena sings the uh, theme tune, Meatloaf sings on this album as well. So the show came to the West End at the Old Witch Theatre and when it opened, it had been quite heavily reworked. It was much more successful in the West End than it had been on Broadway. This time with Marcus Lovett as the man and Lottie Mayer as Swallow. And I actually went to see the show Uh, It had been there for a, a little while by the time I got to see it. And Glenn Carter was playing the man. And Laura Michelle Kelly was Swallow. And again, i talk about Laura Michelle Kelly in the Letter K podcast. I've since seen her as Mary Poppins, the original Mary Poppins in the West End. I did see her in The King and I, actually, when it was on in Washington, D.C., few years ago and I happened to be there as the show was uh, was uh, doing a stint in Washington DC. And I also saw Laura Michelle in Finding Neverland, the wonderful Peter Pan musical with music by Gary Barlow. Now I saw that on Broadway and I am really desperate for it to come to the UK. Did you guess the second Andrew Lloyd Webber W show is The Woman in White based on the famous Wilkie Collins novel, uh, written in 1860. And it actually started out, as many of Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows do, at a Sidmonton workshop. And fascinatingly, in the cast was, of course, the wonderful Laura Michelle Kelly, who we just talked about, and Anne Hathaway. Now, the show has had mixed reviews over the years, I love this show and I always hope that there's going to be another production of it. Although I have to say my recollections of seeing this show in the West End are that they were trying to be really innovative with the use of computer backgrounds and projections and digital screens. I don't think that worked personally. It distracted from the fact that he here's a really fantastic story and some amazing performers and songs. And it just kind of detracted from what was going on. Um, the show had mixed reviews, but it did run for 19 months in the West End. It opened on the 16th of September 2004. And in the cast was Michael Crawford, Although he actually was taken ill uh, not long into the run, really, because he was over sweating from wearing the fat suit that his character, Count Fosco, uh, was required to wear. So Michael Crawford left the show. And in actual fact, in July of 2005, so less than a year into the run, the show was sort of semi-closed for a couple of days and then reopened as a second version, if you like, of the show with a lot of new cast. Um, The show did run for more than 500 performances and I saw it twice. Uh, When I saw it, the cast had changed and it was Maria Friedman who was playing the part of Marion Holcomb. Now, I thought she was great in this and Michael Ball was now playing the part of Count Fosco with Martin Cruz and Jill Pace also in the cast. In fact, this wasn't the last time that Michael Ball would wear a fat suit because he then went on, of course, to star as Edna Turnblad in Hairspray. Music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, of course. Lyrics this time by David Zippel, who actually has worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber very recently on his new musical, Cinderella, which was meant to officially open this week in the West End. Uh, Today is the 19th of July, 2021, and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber has sent out a statement just today to say how devastated he is that the show cannot open because... Uh, members of the cast have tested positive with COVID. So that's going to mean a delay. I believe it's not a permanent closure, uh, just a delay. Um, and the cast album has been released for Cinderella with Carrie Hope Fletcher in the lead role of Cinderella. I did see an absolutely beautiful production at the Charing Cross Theatre in 2017 of The Woman in White with in the cast Caroline Maitland and Anna O'Byrne and Sophie Reeves as the lead women and Ashley Stillburn and Greg Castiglione in the uh, male lead roles and this was just gorgeous um it, I'd love it if they were to bring that production back. But I'm fingers crossed always that we'll get a bigger production one day. And have you guessed the third Andrew Lloyd Webber W show? It's The Wizard of Oz. I suppose you could argue that's a bit of a cop-out because it's not really his show. But he did bring The Wizard of Oz to the West End in 2011 at the London Palladium. And I am going to talk in more detail about The Wizard of Oz separately. So there you go. Three letter W musicals involving Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay, so I've decided to do this a little bit differently today. I've invited somebody to join me and that's the first time. So here on my A to Z of musicals, we have a guest. It's my lovely husband, Shawnee. Hey Shawnee. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, I've invited you to help me talk about The Wizard of Oz. And let's find out why, first of all, The Wizard of Oz is something that you hold near and dear, why it's special to you. Can you tell us a bit about oh, it? Oh
1: Well, I did start with The Wizard of Oz. Um, Firstly, I know you don't rank it all that high, do you? Yeah, I
0: like The Wizard of Oz as a film. I don't love it,
1: but there are parts that I love, whereas I think you feel very differently, don't you? I love it as a musical, but I love it as a film even more, if that makes sense. As a musical film, Sound of Music for me would trump it. Okay. But I just think as a film it's got the whole package and... It, it's been so culturally re- relevant, that film. Its echoes have been felt down the years and still being felt now. I mean, in that episode of Loki last night, there was a reference to the man behind the curtain. Oh, it's gosh, been so far-reaching. Notice. Those characters are the strongest set of characters I can think of in a film. Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Lion, the Wicked Witch, who's a ph- phenomenal villain. Amazing. And the Wizard, of course. Well, let's just take it back then, because you're
0: you're saying you know these characters have, mm-hmm. have kind of had a an impact through over, over the years. Oh, yes. so the book, the original source, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, was mm-hmm. written in um, eighteen uh, in nineteen hundred. Mm-hmm. So that's over a hundred years ago mm-hmm. by um, L. Frank Baum, mm-hmm. and you're right. I mean, these characters, people know them and and hold them dear to their hearts, really. Uh, you mentioned the witch. Tell me your memories, if you can, of seeing her. Did you, did you remember seeing the film the first time,
1: or? I don't remember seeing it the first time. I remember watching it several times as a child and being terrified by the witch and those talking trees. Absolutely oh, terrified yeah, by them. They were scary. She is. She's just one of the great screen villains. She's absolutely amazing. I found out when I was doing my
0: research that you know her line when she says, I'll get you my pretty <laughs> and yellow dog too. That was ranked 99th in the American Film Institute most memorable movie quotes um, back in 2005. I actually am surprised it was 95 because everybody knows that line, don't they? And I mean, I found myself saying that sometimes. <laughs> um,
1: Do you know anything about the actress that played the witch? Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. Um, Apparently, during the making of the film, she received very bad burns, didn't she, at one point? Yeah, so what I found out is, first of all, she had
0: two stunt doubles, if you like, and during the filming of it, the entrance, you know the entrance in Munchkinland with Mm. all that red smoke, and and that wasn't her. That was her first stunt double, Mm. and the stunt double got injured mm. then on the filming of the exit from Munchkinland she got badly burned in fact she had uh, second degree burns on her face and third degree burns on her hand and actually margaret hamilton had to be off work and in hospital for 6 weeks mm. so you know you think about health and safety now and the <laughs> Mate, there's no way that would have happened, and she only came back to film the rest of her scenes on the understanding that she wouldn't have to do any more um, fire uh, mm. scenes. And she did say in an interview years later, you know, I said to them, I'm not going to sue because I know that that would damage my career and I'd never work again. Whereas now you think it's it's nothing like that, mm. is it? She was so brilliant in that film. I mean, her performance, isn't it? Just
1: great. And she has some fantastic moments, as do all the characters, of course. There's just a tiny little moment when, um, I think it's before they find the Tin Man, Dorothy and the Scarecrow walking through the woods and she's there in the background hiding behind a cottage. Look, so many little moments like that and her castle, what a fantastic set that is. You know, with the background and the flying monkeys, and and of course we've both seen Wicked, mm. the
0: musical, mm. which we'll talk about in a second. But the scene in that castle that is very reminiscent of the set for Wicked, I think, mm. or a lot of the set of Wicked. Um, interestingly, the character that she plays, Margaret Hamilton, also plays Miss Gulch mm. uh, on her little bike, <laughs> going into um. Those opening black and white scenes, and she's uh, being chased, isn't she, by Toto the dog? Yeah. Her character apparently was called Almira, Almira Golch, which I never really picked up on. Um, and you watch Wicked, and she's called Elphaba. So there's no kind of, I don't know whether it's uh, what well, is
1: Elphaba, so called because of L. Frank Baum, Baum rather but that's right. Yeah, I did know that. Mm. I well done. I'd forgotten mm. that. right? And ball. it's funny, Miss Gulch um, is as vicious and nasty in her own way as the witch actually is, isn't she? Oh, she's but all the characters have their, you know, the parallels, don't they? In um, Munchkinland, which I didn't pick up on for years as a child. I never knew that Hickory or Zeke oh, yeah. and so on were actually those characters. I never picked up on that, but you couldn't help but pick up on. Miss Sculchy being the Wicked Witch because Dorothy looks out of the window, of course, and sees her transform. Which, again, you look at that now, it's nothing that affects. I mean, it was done how many years ago? Over seventeen years well, ago? It's Eighty-two years. That now. long, gosh. But it, as a child watching that, it's amazing. It's terrifying. It's terrifying from this nasty woman, but a prim and proper woman, being transformed into ultimate, almost ultimate evil. Yeah.
0: Really. And one of the things, obviously, about this film, it's a musical, so it Mm. had great songs. Not that many songs, really. When you watch it now, you think, it's not like song after song, but some absolute belters, aren't there? Mm. Um, Harold Arlen wrote the music, and E.Y. Harburg wrote the lyrics for the songs there. Um, Is there a song or a piece of music in that film that really stands out to you?
1: All Over the Rainbow... Is a, a masterpiece of songcraft, isn't it? It's a wonderful, wonderful song with you know, so many meanings to so many people. Um, but you know, you know, a, a song like "Follow the Alabaster Road" isn't a long song, but it's it's great and it just sets up the whole journey aspect of the film so well. Well, it's joyous as well, yes, isn't it? The yes. sound of of uh, the Munchkins
0: and that unique sound that they created, you know, you watch that and it's not just a visual feast. When you go from the black and white into the land of uh, Munchkinland
1: and the the flowers, it's an amazing tracking shot, isn't there? When she arrives there, well, she's just exploring the land and you haven't met the Munchkins yet, but the camera just pans across before Glinda arrives.
0: Now, of course, we can't talk about the Wizard of Oz without talking about the absolutely wonderful Judy Garland, and of course, I have talked about her quite a lot throughout the podcast, but especially in the letter G, so if you're interested, why not go back and check out that episode of the A to Z of Musicals. But, Shawnee, any thoughts on Judy's performance in The Wizard of Oz?
1: Well, like you say, you can't not mention Judy in this film. She is the absolute beating heart of the film. She carries the whole film. As wonderful as the other performers are, she is the absolute centre of the film. And not only her performance, but her look as well, that iconic image of her and the ruby slippers of her plaited hair and the gingham blue and white check frock that she wears. It's just... It's more than performance. It's just an iconic image. And that's what she
0: did, Judy mm. Garland. She didn't just perform. She gave her heart and soul, didn't yes, she? And you can see it in this um, film. And, you know, it's hard to imagine, but they were going to cut Over the Rainbow from the film. Uh, I mean, imagine the film without... You can't imagine it, it without it, can you? No. Yeah. Uh, so the the wonderful Judy Garland for me, The Wizard of Oz, the film is the one and only um, great version of this yeah. well, I remember uh doing a school production of The Wizard of Oz years ago, and you actually saw that production and it was the best one I ever saw that oh, Wow, it was saw, brilliant yeah. and um that line, I'll miss you most of all, every single time it got to it, my eyes would fill. Mm. Uh, mm. Not that that's unusual. Not part. Hard, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, thanks for joining me. I hope it, uh, you've enjoyed being part of the podcast. <laughs> and there we have everyone, The Wizard of Oz. You mentioned Over the Rainbow, and of course that was the name of the TV series where Andrew Lloyd Webber was Mm. searching, wasn't he, for his new Dorothy Gale. Mm. Um, Talk to us about your memories of that TV show.
1: Well, I loved, we loved, didn't we, all those TV shows. Um, Those, in that show, all the others, the girls they had on that were so talented and it's been lovely to see how... um, a lot of them have gone on to do so well. I mean, I still follow Lauren Samuels on Twitter. Yeah, me seems too. like a lovely girl, and I'm, I'm glad she's forged a path for herself.
0: And Danielle Hope, of course, who won the show and and performed as Dorothy, she went to Knutsford High School, which is not far from us. Mm-hmm. She actually attended Highfield Primary as well. Uh, wow, so mm-hmm. the you know very local mm-hmm. girls. Um, in that production, we went to see it. I don't know if um. It was in February of two thousand and eleven yes, when it, was in it opened, preview, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, so we saw Michael Crawford as the wizard, and I was mm. very excited to see him, but a bit
1: underwhelmed actually once we got there. Mm. Well, uh, the, the the star of that show really well Danielle was great. She. Um, she led that show with a rod of iron, really. You know, she was very much the center piece of it. Yeah. But the, the person who stole the show was Hannah Waddingham. Hannah Waddingham. <laughs> Let's
0: just take a moment to enjoy her. Because Waddingham is a letter W. <laughs> and so I was hoping that she'd get a mention. Hannah Waddingham is an absolute, just a, an amazing performer. We've seen her in a few things, haven't mm. we? But um, she really is stunning. And for me, I don't know if you remember this scene, but... Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice wrote some new songs for this show and she had a song herself and she was flying over the audience on a broomstick, if you recall. We were in the store, so she was right over us and she had the most incredible dress that did remind me a little bit of Elphaba's dress towards the end of um, Wicked. Mm. But she was just amazing, wasn't and she? I still got a little black feather that landed on <laughs> <in> me <the different sighs> performance. Oh, in my yeah. Box. Uh, but overall, I have to say, I didn't really think that much of that production. I, I know it's Andrew Lloyd Webber who was bringing it back. So good for him that he was returning this show. And in actual fact, it was its first proper stage
1: musical wasn't it adaptation yeah i think somehow it was lacking that um vital spark of magic that the best musicals have on stage they it didn't have the vitality there was it was a bit workmanlike really because
0: um l frank Baum wrote 14 Mm. uh, oz novels and there were all sorts of other things as well Comic strip things. Well, Ozma of Oz is a very good children's book,
1: yeah. which the film Return of Oz is partly based
0: on. Uh, well, I was going to mention Return, mm. A Return, Return to, to Oz, that was the Disney mm. film. Um, and uh, Feroza Balk, wasn't it, who played mm. the part of mm. Dorothy. And I've mentioned her actually in a previous podcast because she starred with Tim Curry. In that wonderful TV adaptation of The Worst Witch. Oh, that was great. It I was loved fantastic. that. Diana Rigg as Diana well. R- Rigg Miss Hardbroom as well. So, uh, well, thanks for joining me. I hope it, uh, you've enjoyed being part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And there we have everyone The Wizard of Oz. Now, there have been so many retellings and adaptations and variations of L. Frank Baum's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Two other famous musical adaptations, the first being the 1975 Broadway hit The Wiz. It actually started in October 74 as a, a Bol- in Baltimore as a tryout before going to Broadway, and then Philadelphia as well, and opened on the 5th of January 1975. The Wiz, full title, The Wiz the super soul musical, wonderful Wizard of Oz, there's a mouthful, with music and lyrics by Charlie Smalls. Now, Charlie Smalls actually was only 43 when he died and he was working on another musical, but this is the the famous piece that he worked on. And The Wiz is a retelling of The Wizard of Oz in the context of African-American culture. In fact, it was a huge breakthrough for Broadway with an all-black cast and has continued to be an all-black cast ever since. The show on Broadway won seven out of its eight Tony nominations, including Best Musical and Best Score by Charlie Smalls. It had Stephanie Mills in the role of Dorothy and Andre de Shields played The Wiz. Of course, he originated the role of Hermes fairly recently in Hades Town, and won the 2019 Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical that year. The Wiz ran for 1,672 performances. That's over four years worth of The Wiz. And in 1978, of course, there's the famous film adaptation starring Diana Ross as Dorothy and Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow. And it had a great cast, including Richard Pryor as the wizard and Lena Horne as Glinda. But the film was a critical and commercial failure. I have seen the film and I didn't think much to it. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think I fell asleep. I've never seen it on stage. Well, having said that, I did see a high school performance of it once. But um, I did watch The Wiz live back in December 2015 when the NBC broadcast it as part of their live musicals series produced by Craig Zidane and Neil Maron. And Stephanie Mills, who'd originated Dorothy, actually played Aunt Em in This Wiz Live, and actually critics felt that Diana Ross in the film was the wrong person and it would have been a better film if Stephanie Mills had been cast. Um, I do know that in December of this year, my wonderful Hope Mill Theatre that's nearby me in Manchester are going to be producing a a version of this, so I'm really looking forward to seeing The Wiz at Hope Mill Theatre. My next alternative take on The Wizard of Oz is, of course, the 2003 massive successful Wicked. This opened in October 2003 and is based on the book Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. Now, if you haven't read this book, it is brilliant. It's actually far, far better than the story of Wicked the Musical. But Wicked the Musical for me is just, uh, it's a lovely nod, an homage to The Wizard of Oz. It's got some fantastic songs, music and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz. And I talk about Stephen Schwartz in the Letter S podcast, and actually in several episodes as well. And it didn't get great reviews initially. They were fairly lukewarm reviews and this was the an example of a show that beat the critics because the audience disagreed and actually they came out in their uh, thousands to see this show. And I suppose I'm one of those people because I just kept going back. I saw Dina Menzel, when she came over to the West End, she opened the show. And I saw her in October 2006 at the Apollo Victoria Theatre as Elphaba. And I absolutely love Adina Menzel. I talk about her in the Letter M podcast. She was stunning, in my opinion, as Elphaba. And she was joined by the wonderful Helen Dallimore, the Australian uh, performer as Glinda with, in the cast, Nigel Planer and Oliver Thompson as Fiero, Miriam Margolis was the original Madame Morrible in the West End. It was just a, a wonderful show, and it sh- it tells how all is not what it seems in the world of Oz. Uh, when the show opened on Broadway, it actually won three out of ten Tony nominations uh, Edina Menzel for Best Actress in a Musical, Best Costume Design, and Best Scenic Design. I have seen some absolutely brilliant performers playing Elphaba and Glinda over the years. I think my favorite Elphaba is Carrie Ellis, and I've seen her quite a number of times. She is brilliant. What a stunning performer! Fantastic voice, and she just was. She gave it everything to this part. Um, I've also seen Diane Pilkington as Glinda. She was fantastic. My favourite Glinda is Louise Dearman. What an actress. And she's the only person actually in the world to have played both Elphaba and Glinda. I've also seen the fantastic Rachel Tucker as Elphaba. She was brilliant. Ashley Gray, uh, Susanna Stevenson, Emily Tierney, Loads of great people. I think my favourite Madame Morrible is the wonderful Susie Blake. My favourite song in Wicked is For Good. This is the song that Elphaba and Glinda sing towards the end of the show. And it shows how they have developed and grown, not just as individuals, but as friends. And that's one of the key messages about this show. Friendship and genuine uh, love. And I I really enjoy this show. So there you go. Three letter W, Wizard of Oz, The Wiz and Wicked. Every Christmas I like to sit and watch the 1954 Paramount movie musical White Christmas. Oh, it's such a great film. It's such a great Christmassy feel to it. And It never ceases actually to get me in the Christmassy spirit with the wonderful Irving Berlin providing the music and lyrics. And actually this was Irving Berlin's last full movie score. And he wrote nine new songs as well as using some of his uh, back catalogue as well. And of course it's filled with great songs. The most famous, of course, being the title song, White Christmas. And this appeared for the first time back in 1942 in the film Holiday Inn. And it was interestingly sung by Bing Crosby, who sings it again in this White Christmas film. Actually, Bing Crosby was joined by actress Marjorie Reynolds singing this together. Um. Also in Holiday Inn was Fred Astaire, actually. Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire starred together. And they were meant to star together in White Christmas. Um, originally, Fred Astaire was offered the part. He turned it down. And then it went to Donald O'Connor, who was meant to start filming. And he was ill. He injured his leg. And so Danny Kay eventually took over, and the partnership between Bing Crosby and Danny Kay was just a, a really warm, wonderful thing to see. Bing Crosby as Bob Wallace, and Danny Kay as Phil Davis, along with the fabulous Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen as the Haynes sisters. And it's kind of a let's put on a show sort of film in a barn, of course, why not? A barn in Vermont. And uh, there was never a full soundtrack recording, um, partly because Rosemary Clooney was under contract for Columbia Records at the time, whilst the film's soundtrack was controlled by Decca Records. There were two, actually, two White Christmas albums, but neither of them were officially original soundtrack recordings. In the film, the singing voice for Vera Ellen was provided by Trudy Stevens. And of course, I mentioned Vera Ellen in the last episode, actually, the Letter V podcast, where we uh, discovered that she had her singing voice dubbed in almost every single uh, musical film that she appeared in. The song White Christmas actually won the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1943 following the release of the film and in fact it was the top grossing film of the year and it remains hugely popular, it's certainly on television every year and as I say without fail I snuggle down to watch it. And one of my favourite performances in the film is by the fabulous Mary Wicks. And I want to mention her because she is another letter W. And for me, Mary Wicks is an iconic actress uh, of film, stage and television. From her earlier appearances with Betty Davis in films like The Man Who Came to Dinner and now Voyager and June Bride. And then she starred with Doris Day in On Moonlight Bay and By the Light of the Silvery Moon. And even in the TV series Annette on the Disney Mickey Mouse Club channel, she has just been a a, a wonderful performer in the background, but actually always, for me, a star I didn't realise until I was doing my research that she was the live-action reference model for the character of Cruella de Vil in Disney's 101 Dalmatians back in 1961. And she was also in the Music Man film adaptation of the famous musical in 1962. She played one of the pick-a-little, talk-a-little ladies called Mrs Squires. I don't think I knew that or if I did I'd certainly forgotten it. Um Mary Wicks was on Broadway in 1979 in a revival of Oklahoma as Aunt Ella and I think one of her most famous and memorable roles in her later years was in Sister Act and the sequel Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, where she played Sister Mary Lazarus. And her final film role was voicing the character of Laverne in Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1996. And sadly, she died uh, while she was recording for that film. So just a few of her lines were um, replaced by a different actress. But I've always loved seeing Mary Wick's Now, White Christmas has had a life on stage as well. It premiered in St. Louis in the year 2000 uh, before moving to San Francisco in 2004. And there have been numerous productions and touring productions uh, on Broadway, across the United States, across the UK. And it's a show that I will be drawn back to time and time again, I'm sure. White Christmas... My Next Letter W musical is the iconic and legendary West Side Story. The show opened on the 26th of September 1957 in New York City at the Winter Garden Theatre. And this was such a bold and daring and passionate uh, production really it broke from convention it utilized dance in new and exciting ways uh, the iconic choreography from Jerome Robbins which sort of illustrated really the pent up frustration and tension the passion and the energy coming across in the performances it's just magnificent and it's a smash hit and it didn't get the most brilliant reviews initially but It grew, its audience grew and grew, and people loved it and continue to this day to love it. Music by Leonard Bernstein, and he'd been inspired, of course, by Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And it's an updated version, mixing the harsh drama and modern dance. And it was really risky to do it this way. I mean, Bernstein really was incredible, composing that music. And collaborating with a very young Stephen Sondheim on the lyrics. Sondheim actually wanted to be composing as well as doing the lyrics at this point, but he was advised by his mentor, Oscar Hammerstein, to learn the craft of the lyricist. And that's what he did. He set about finding a score that he could work on. And of course, it worked phenomenally well with a book by Arthur Lawrence and... The original production was directed and choreographed, of course, by Jerome Robbins. The original Broadway production ran for 732 performances and had Carol Lawrence as the original Maria with Larry Kurt as Tony and Chita Rivera as, of course, Anita. And she reprised the role in the West End production the following year in 1958. And this time the show ran for 1,000 and 39 performances. And of course it's toured and had many, many productions around the world since. And famously we had the 1961 film which won 10 Academy Awards. That's just phenomenal with Natalie Wood and Richard Beamer, Rita Moreno, Russ Tamlin uh, in the cast. And you can go back and check my other podcasts where I talk about many of those performers. So brief today, but certainly it needs a big hurrah West Side Story. A Letter W show that I really have enjoyed when I've seen it is The Witches of Eastwick. This is a terrific show and it has music by Dana P. Rowe and lyrics and book by John Dempsey. Now they actually had previously brought their musical The Fix, to the Don Marr Warehouse in London, but it received fairly negative reviews. Fortunately, Cameron Mackintosh had seen something in these two composers and asked if they were thinking of working on anything else, and that's when the whole idea of The Witches of Eastwick came about. The show is based on the 1987 Paramount Studios film of the same name with that fantastic cast of course of Jack Nicholson and Susan Sarandon, Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer. Absolutely brilliant team in that film and that was based on the book by John Updike. It's an absolutely brilliant perfect blending of these three female characters with hugely distinctive voices and sounds and the charismatic male lead of Daryl Van Horn and in the original West End production these were played by Lucy Arnaz who was the daughter of of course Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz Maria Friedman and Joanna Riding they played the three females and Ian McShane who played Daryl Van Horn and he was uh, Uh, followed by Clark Peters when the show moved to the Prince of Wales Theatre with quite a considerable change in cast. I saw a really good touring production of The Witches of Eastwick back in October of 2008 when it came to Manchester with Marty Pello as Daryl Van Horn and of course he'd been the lead singer of the pop group Wet Wet Wet. The three girls were played by Poppy Tierney, Rhea Jones and Rebecca Thornhill, all fantastic performers. And then I saw a much smaller performance production of this at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury in August of 2013. And this was a really gorgeous production with Alex Bourne playing the lead role of Daryl Van Horn with Tiffany Graves, Poppy Tierney again and Joanna Hickman as the three ladies. And Rosemary Ash actually reprised her role as Felicia. She'd been in the original West End production. And there are some great songs in this show, including two of my favourites, Make Him Mine and I Wish I May. Definitely worth a mention today, and if you can get a chance to see a production of The Witches of Eastwick, it's great. If I said sugar, butter, flour, or even if I sang it, what would I be giving you the ingredients for? Well, actually, it would be a cake, not a pie, even though the story of Waitress the Musical is about Jenna Hunterson, who bakes pies. I love this show, and the music and lyrics are by the fantastic Sarah Bareilles. The show opened, actually in Harvard University in August of 2015 before going to Broadway, where Jessie Mueller played the lead role of Jenna. Uh, Jessie Mueller, of course, had already won a Tony for her performance as Carol King in beautiful The Carol King Musical back in 2014. On Broadway, the show was nominated for to- four Tony Awards, And I was delighted only recently to hear that when the theatres reopen on Broadway, Waitress will come back with Sarah Bareilles reprising the role of Jenna, which is absolutely brilliant news. The show was originally directed by Diane Paulus, who actually had already won a Tony Award for her direction of Pippin, the revival in 2013. I've seen the show twice, actually. I saw it on Broadway when we were on holiday in August 2017. Uh, This time it was Betsy Wolfe as Jenna, and she was brilliant. And then when the show came to the West End, I saw Catherine McPhee as Jenna, with the amazing David Hunter as Dr. Pomata, and I just think he's a great, great West End leading man. Sarah Bareilles released her fifth studio album and it's called What's Inside? Songs from Waitress. So if you wanted to, you can listen to Sarah Bareilles sing all of the songs and some songs that were cut from the stage show. Of course, it's based on a 2007 film called Waitress, which was written by Adrienne Shelley. And tragically, she was murdered in 2006 before the film was released. If you haven't seen the film, it's a really lovely, lovely romantic comedy, definitely worth a watch. And I have just booked tickets to see Waitress when it goes on tour around the UK later this year, and it will have the amazing Lucy Jones as Jenna with Sandra Marvin and Evelyn Hoskins and Matt Willis in the cast as well. My final letter W musical is Wonderful Town with music by Leonard Bernstein. And apparently he only had four weeks to write the entire score for this show, which is incredible. And he worked with uh, Betty Comden and Adolf Green who wrote the lyrics and the book. And of course they'd worked together already on the fabulous On the Town. Wonderful Town opened on the 25th of February 1953 with Rosalind Russell as the lead female, Ruth Sherwood. The story is about two sisters, Ruth and Eileen, who arrive in New York looking to make their fortune. And they've come from a small town in Ohio and it's not quite what they were expecting. And there is a film actually called My Sister Eileen, which was also released in 1953 by MGM uh, with songs, this time by Julie Stein. And it's the same story, basically. Now, I know that my lovely Twitter friend Elena will be cross with me if I don't mention the 2004 production on Broadway starring the fantastic Donna Murphy as Ruth Sherwood, with Jennifer Westfeldt as Eileen. And I saw a production, actually, in uh, Salford, near where I live, at the Lowry Theatre, back in 2012, this time with Connie Fisher in the role of Ruth. And Connie Fisher came to uh, popularity in the UK as the winner of the How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? search for the new Maria for The Sound of Music, Andrew Lloyd Webber's search show. And Connie Fisher was joined in that production by the amazing Tiffany Graves and Michael Xavier. So a short mention, but an important one for Wonderful Town. Wow, Letter W is busy, isn't it? There are so many that we haven't talked about yet. I probably could have done two podcasts for W. We haven't mentioned Nancy Walker, uh, remember her, this sour-faced and gravelly-voiced comedian? She was famous back in the 60s and 70s for TV comedies, including The Mary Tyler Moore Show and Rhoda. And also, she did quite a number of films back in the 1940s, musical films particularly, Girl Crazy with Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney, Best Foot Forward. Broadway rhythm. In fact, Best Foot Forward was Nancy Walker's Broadway debut in 1941. She did On the Town, and she starred in the 1944 production as Hilde Esterhazy, and she was in the 1960 production of Do Re Mi, Nancy Walker. And we haven't talked about the famous lyricist and director, Scott Whitman. And, of course, Scott is most famous Now, for his collaborations with Mark Shaman on the massive 2002 Broadway hit, Hairspray, which, of course, ran for over six years, 2,642 performances on Broadway. And it came to the West End. And Michael Ball, in fact, who originated the role in the West End of Edna Turnblad, has just returned since the theatres have reopened after uh, the COVID restrictions have been lifted here in the UK. So Hairspray is alive and well in the West End as I record this podcast. Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman also brought us Catch Me If You Can in 2011 on Broadway. That's not come to the West End yet. And in 2013, we had Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the West End and then transferred to Broadway in 2017. Now, I might have already told this story, but when I saw Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the West End during previews, the boy playing Charlie made a mistake. He got his line wrong and then started crying and then went on crying. And it was terrible as an audience member to watch because at first it was, oh, and then it was, Oh, for goodness sake. And the the cast were just kind of trying to continue around this. It was very awkward viewing. And having produced many primary school plays at the end of each school year, um, I just wouldn't have allowed that to happen. So uh, I probably sound tough, but that's the life of the theatre. Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman also did the music for Bombshell, which was the Marilyn Monroe musical within the NBC television Smash. And uh, both of them were nominated actually for a Grammy for the song Let Me Be Your Star. In 2018, Whitman and Shaman brought us the music for the brand new Mary Poppins Returns. And this time they were nominated for an Academy Award Award for the song, The Place Where the Lost Things Go. And they're working at the moment on a new version of Some Like It Hot, which I really look forward to. We haven't talked about Kurt Weil, the German stage and screen composer who teamed up with Bertolt Brecht, the famous playwright, to create the Threepenny Opera back in 1928, Uh, Kurt Weill also brought us shows like Lady in the Dark, where he worked with Ira Gershwin, and also One Touch of Venus. We've not talked about shows such as Wonderland and Wonder.land, and that's enough about both of those, Uh, or We Will Rock You, which I talk about in the letter Q for Queen. We've not talked about the fabulous Peggy Wood, who played the Mother Abyss in the 1965 film adaptation of The Sound of Music. But uh, Peggy Wood had actually done many Broadway musicals, including Naughty Marietta in 1910, Maytime in 1917, and *No Coward actually wrote for her the role of Sarah Millick in Bittersweet in 1928, amongst others. We've not talked about the Will Rogers Follies, Marisha Wallace, the fabulous Marisha Wallace, who's currently starring in Hairspray in the West End and has uh, been in Dreamgirls and Waitress. And I saw her in her own concert just a few days before the whole world went into first lockdown. She is stunning and uh, a voice and a name to listen and look out for Marisha Wallace. Uh, Mer- Meredith Wilson, Sandy Wilson, Shani Wallace, Woman of the Year, Warpaint, Honor White, Tishan Williams, who starred as Seely in the wonderful Colour Purple uh, Curve Leicester production last year. She's another person to look out for. Uh, we haven't talked about Paul Williams, who, of course, brought us the music for the children's gangster film Bugsy Malone back in 1976. And also the music for Barbara Streisand's A Star Is Born, also in 1976. Oh, so many letter W's. I need to catch my breath and go and lie down. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, everyone. Take care and have a Doris Day.